he wants you. That's like the underlying story of the entire Bible is that God wants you. Podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today, we have Eric. Good morning. And Tracy. Good morning. And Karen. Hello. Hello, everyone from Podcast Land. Here in Podcast Land, it's a week from Christmas. And that is, uh, you know, such a refreshing and simple and easy time, isn't it? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> Hello from Delusion Land. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we've we've been discussing here just a little. Oh, the the interesting times we have. <laughs> Karen, uh, her community getting unburied from tornadoes and whatnot, and Tracy's Tracy's house being unburied from flooding again, and yeah, <laughs> which I don't know if we talked about that before, but essentially Tracy's sprinkler system got broken and and uh his fire suppression i guess it would be yeah. and created some 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 havoc and chaos there and and yeah. uh i don't know we've all got our things you know eric's had family in town and uh my wife is is uh dealing with with uh church worship service issues and getting ready for a church a christmas service next week and then of course all the all the other family stuff going along with all that too and no, nope, life is just never, never, ever easy. It's just not. And uh, I think the sooner we all get resigned to that, the better off we'll be. Because, as, you know, as we're looking at this, and of course our, our listeners will be hearing this after the fact, but, you know, we look towards that new year coming up and and um, everybody's always, oh, I hope the next year is going to be easier. It's like, have you been paying attention for like the last 20? You know, it's like. <laughs> have, you, have you read Revelation? It doesn't yeah. simmer down. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we just, we keep our, our best humor to the last and, uh, just keep looking to God. And, uh, and as we have read so many times, as he says, we ask us to come back, we just have to keep going back, which, which will uh, lead us into our, our discussion for today. We are starting, well, we're going to talk about the entire book of Zephaniah today. And we're gonna get started in the book of Jeremiah today. There's a there's a lot of ayahs in our future, I think, because um, we've been through Isaiah. I guess there was maybe would be the way they would have said it rather than Isaiah, but um, I don't know. I digress, going down a rabbit hole here. Uh, so anyway, our historical context with Zephaniah is really kind of interesting because you know we have seen through our own readings the 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 Mm. Oh, the eventual downfall of the nation of Israel as they pulled away from Judah. And now Judah is having its own struggles, even though they've managed to, oh, so so to speak, fend off the Assyrians for a while. And um, Assyria, they had been basically receiving tribute from the Judah, the, the, the kings of Judah, Hezekiah and Manasseh. Hezekiah being one who was considered a good king, and Manasseh being one who was really considered a bad king. And Assyria had kind of managed to keep them in place. But now we're going to start seeing Babylon come on the scene. 
and declaring independence from Assyria. I was uh, reading here about 626 BC, Babylon declared independence from Syria, Assyria, and uh, now Assyria has got to deal with them. So it's kind of interesting. We're starting to see this whole thing play out because, you know, those of us who have read the book before know that uh, Babylon eventually comes and takes away Judah and and is a major player on the scene. And so so history is starting to see that uh, come together. And by 612 BC, pretty much all the Assyrian cities were destroyed, including Nineveh, which we've already kind of talked about that last week. And we've seen Josiah uh, instituting some major reform in Judah. And we've pretty well talked about all of that. Now, Zephaniah is uh, a new prophet on the scene. And his book begins out just telling us that this is a prophecy given to him, Zephaniah, during the reign of Josiah, so of King Josiah, who uh, was down he was down there a little bit. He was, uh, well, it looks like he was maybe the last of the good kings of Judah. He would have been, it looks like, great-grandson of Hezekiah. So we've seen Hezekiah, Manasseh, Ammon, and now Josiah. And uh, this is this is a message given during his time to this prophet Zephaniah. And essentially, God is just letting him, letting everybody know he's got some plans. And his plans is one way or the other. And it's coming down to the wire here. One way or the other, he is going to purge all pagan influence from Judah and Jerusalem. He says, I'll stretch out my hand against Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And essentially, he's talking about even if it means destroying the city, the pagan influences will, will are going to be dealt with. What do you think of what do you think about that? With uh, I mean, God is going to like any means necessary now to get rid of this. He's kind of had a soft, I would call it a soft hand up to this point. And now he's saying, no, now we've got to come to terms with everything. What would you, how did you see that? I think too, that when I was reading, it was like, okay, we're, you know, I was just, I was struggling a little bit with it only because we've heard it so many times and they've just wavered so much back and forth. Mm-hmm. But the Lord continues, continues to work with them and send his prophets and give them warnings and and tell them exactly his nature and his strength and how they're being led astray. But yet they still don't get it. It's just like I just continue. I felt like like we've almost read this over and over. Yeah. And it says that they're being told that, uh, well, basically, there's two different reasons things are happening here. It's, in some ways, they've showed divided loyalty by worshiping false gods while still trying to worship the true God. And in other cases, it's just been a complete rejection of God. And they've stopped looking at God at all. And ultimately, the same result is coming from this. It's like with God, it's all or nothing. You can't do this halfway. Uh, if you try to do it halfway, it's it's just as bad as if you're trying to if, or if you uh, just reject him completely. We get into verse 7 and 8, and this was interesting. It says, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, and he has invited his guests. Did you guys um, recognize that concept from, I guess it wouldn't be anything that maybe we've studied in the podcast yet, but uh, it sure sounded like something that we hear about in, in the book of Matthew. Yeah, I did notice that. Matthew uh, 22 talks about a marriage ceremony that 
that uh, a guy was putting together and he invites all these people and they all basically say, oh, no, thanks. Or they have different excuses for not coming, whatnot, and uh, they don't want to come. And uh, that's kind of what is is happening. Sounds like the same thing here. It's like I invited you guys and you don't want to uh, you don't want to be here. I've I've invited you to the party. I've given you clothes to wear. And um, that story in Matthew become comes to somebody basically trying to sneak in and not wearing the clothes and and they get uh, tossed out in the street. You know, he's 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 tried to get ready. He's tried. He's tried to have have a well, I mean, I think if we if we can assume that this is going to um, to the Matthew story, we can assume that this is a wedding ceremony. Yeah, I mean, parallel to that, or I should say more evidence that that's the case is in verse Two of Zephaniah one, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth. This mm-hmm. is not now just talking about uh, Judah. This there are things that we see in Zephaniah here that seem to pertain to Judah in their in that in that day, and then it just almost effortlessly switches into things that seem to talk about. Last day things, verse 7, for the day of the Lord is near. That's a phrase that's, generally speaking, universal. And, you know, in verse 10, on that day, declares the Lord. So there are some things here that are talking, I believe, about much more universal things, verse 14 does too, than just um, what's happening at the moment. So like many of the other prophets and so on, these things have at least dual application, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my Bible has is divided up into like it's the the people who compiled it have gone through and put sort of subheadings, and this section is called "Judgment on the Whole Earth in the Day of the Lord." Yeah, I think that's perfectly apt to say that. Well, we've seen many many times where these prophecies have often an immediate context, but then a, a, usually a broader context as well, where uh, we're, we can be talking about a nation or we can be talking about end times, the whole world, and all of God's followers and those who claim to follow him and whatnot. Verse uh, verse 12, specifically talking about complacency. How did he put it? Uh, I will punish the men who are settled in complacency. It's like essentially uh, you've got to... Y- you can't just sit around waiting for things to happen. God wants us to be active. He wants us to take a stand. Kind of like, you know, Jesus at some point says, I wish you were hot or cold. That's revelation, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And it's like, I wish you were hot or cold. It's like, I wish you would, I would like to see you make some kind of decision, do something and, and move forward. But uh, thinking, just thinking that everything's going to be fine. It's not good. It's not cool. It's not uh, it's not productive. And and things just kind of tend to fall apart if we don't if we don't act, if we don't make some effort to to move forward in any in some direction, in any direction. And it's uh, it even I think if I remember it even kind of calls it an evil. Basically, it's like complacency is an evil to be contended with. So, well, that's why he's seeking them out and punishing them. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, yeah. In, in, yeah, in some ways, yes. And then when you know we talked about the day of the Lord, Eric was talking about the day of the Lord, and here it's it's talked about 
it's like put out here in in some negative terms uh oh, yeah. like trouble distress devastation desolation darkness gloominess clouds thick darkness trumpet an alarm i mean these are these are all phrases and words that as you read them they don't bring they don't bring pictures of uh of rainbows and and uh happy times you know think of it this way Mm -hmm. let's imagine that there's a kidnapping and there's make it super simple one person holding someone else hostage in a house somewhere okay Mm -hmm. and they hear sirens coming in the distance well those sirens are really good news for one person and really 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 bad news for the other person yeah it's the same event and I think when we see judgment happening, uh, we see that from David writing. And David's like, please bring your judgment, you know, because I'll be vindicated. And the people who are doing wrong are not looking forward to this judgment. And it will be darkness and gloom and all kinds of other things. And and there, I mean, there's there's God does not spare words here as he says how serious this is going to be. Um, I will bring distress on mankind so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. That's verse 17. And their blood shall be poured out like dust. I mean, this is this this is pretty heavy stuff. Um, in verse 18, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them. And these days, there is uh, a uh, prevalent feeling like, hey, if you can write a check, you can solve anything. Mm-hmm. And God's saying here, nope, that is not going to take care of you when this goes down. And further in verse 18, in the fire of his jealousy, the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. I mean, that sounds like Matthew 24. I mean, the coming of, of the second coming. And this is, again, I guess, more evidence that you can't really separate Old Testament and New Testament, because they are talking about the same theme. Yeah, and the context there really seems to be, like you were really pointing out there, Eric, that uh, it's not, it depends on what side you're on of whether or not you're going to see these things as negative or whether you will have a more positive uh, experience from it. So chapter two, if we're ready to move on to chapter two, is, uh, at least in my Bible, the, the title of it is A Call to Repentance. And we've seen this call so many times now, and it continues to baffle me when people, when some people who who want to take issue with the Bible as either being outdated or irrelevant or contradictory to itself, it just makes me wonder. It's like, what Bible did you read? Because as we've read this, I keep I keep seeing over and over and over a message from God to repent, turn around, come back. And, and be in be in God's favor. Verse one refers to an undesirable nation, and um, so I, I kind of have a question mark here. Are we talking about Judah? Are we talking about God's chosen? Uh, all of the above, you know, probably all of the above, right? That have uh, kind of gone away, kind of gone their own way, and 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 fallen away from God. And he says, uh, gather together before the. Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek him, seek or seek the Lord, seek righteousness, seek humility. All these things. If you think you're out of God's favor, this is the time for you to look for him. If you think that 
you're you're not in his good graces, maybe it's time to look for him. Look for what it is he's wanting from you. Don't just assume because gosh darn, you know, I so it seems like a lot of times people either resign themselves to the concept of, well, I'm going to hell and then they'll joke about it, you know, or they just think they're utterly lost and are resolved to it. Yeah, they've they've resolved to it. They're they're resigned to it. They're just like, well, you know, I guess that's where I'm going. That's what it's going to be. And and um, it's so sad because because God is constantly saying, no, just turn around. It's like just just come back. All you got to do is all you have to do really is start looking for God, and you're going to find Him. And and um, He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't uh, he hasn't rejected rejected you, not to the point that he could never take you back. We'll get into Jeremiah and there'll be a little discussion about that kind of thing. But he wants you. That's like the underlying story of the entire Bible is that God wants you, wants you badly. (laughs) And uh, you just have to you just got to you just got to look. You just got to look around. There's going to be some judgment coming down, more judgment, I guess I should say, because we've been reading a lot about different judgments coming on different nations. But now there's some specific ones spelled out here. Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, the Cherethites, the Philistines, and they're all going to be destroyed. And it says that the uh, the coastland is going to belong to Judah, which uh, may, may, be, may have played out a little bit in some expansion under Josiah, because he... In his in his good leadership, managed to expand things all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, but uh, these others essentially it's just like everything in that area. Like there's just going to be a cleansing, it seems, everything around, and it's uh, sort of like things we talked about before. If you're if you are in the vicinity of what has to be cleansed, you're going to need to get out of there. You got to get away because the cleansing is widespread, and uh, and and that seems to be the case here. Uh, Moab and Ammon, they're going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, we know Sodom and Gomorrah are gone. You know, how much do we hear about Moabites and Ammonites these days? I don't, other than what we read in the Bible. You know, all of their arrogance is going to be torn down with the destruction of their gods. This is a big, this is a big issue with God in the uh, the worship of of all of these other gods. Uh, it seems like it's been a theme for us for quite a while of idolatry and false worship and and the pride that these other nations have had it says ethiopia is going to be slain by his sword let's talk about the destruction of assyria and nineveh it says uh, the rejoicing city that said in her heart i am it and there is none besides me how's that for a blasphemous attitude yep and that's straight that's the same um that's i don't want to say a quote but it's the same thing in Isaiah 47, it happens twice, where the where the city slash people um, say, "No, I'm it. I'm, I'm the stuff. And mm-hmm. what could possibly happen to me?" And well, what what was prophesied is what will happen to you. I mean, that's just how that goes down. There's nothing else we've seen here in the Old Testament is that when God says X Y Z is going to happen. It will happen. It might happen at a different time or a slightly different way than we expect it to, but it will happen. Yep. On his timetable. Yep. Yeah. You know, when I was looking at that, and it just brought to mind, and this is jumping forward a little bit, but 
Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It was like, yeah, you know what? It's the minute you start to think you're the stuff, um, God is quickly there to say that that's not how it is. Mm-hmm. Well, and how many times have we heard God say, I am the Lord your God and there is no other? Yeah. You know, and now we have these these cities, specifically Assyria, saying, uh, saying things like, you know, your God isn't going to save you and he's never, you know, there's been no other gods that have stood up against us and, and whatnot. And uh, just a, it's clearly, it's clearly stating that these others are setting themselves up kind of as God, which is really, it's really the sin that tore man down from the very beginning of thinking that we can be in charge, thinking that we can be the ones making our own decisions, which, well, we can make our own decisions, but thinking that, 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 that our ways are the best thinking that we don't need to listen to God and, and, uh, and uh, we, we can just kind of make these choices for ourselves and everything's going to work out fine. Well, that has proven to be not the case over and over again. Yeah, it's kind of like the it's, it's metaphorical. I don't know that there's a real instance of this is there's a, right. you know, a, a, a naval destroyer, you know, moving uh, through the night and they get a radio call says, you know, turn 20 degrees to the right. And they're like, I'm a Navy destroyer. You can mm-hmm. tell me what to do. And then the other radio's like, I'm telling you, turn 20 degrees to the right to avoid a collision. They're like, I'm the USS blah, blah, blah. I'm a naval destroyer and I go where I want to. And you're not telling me to turn. And the other one's like, well, I'm a lighthouse. Like (laughs) (laughs) you can you can either listen and turn or you can wreck. That's Mm. and and I think that this is God talking to the nation saying you need to turn. And they're like, you can't tell us what to do. We're pretty awesome. We, we got all this stuff figured out. And God's like, I'm, I'm telling you again and again and again, if you do not turn, you will wreck. And this is to Judah. It was to Israel. It's to Judah. It's to, it's to Egypt. It's to Assyria. It's to Moab and Ammon. We read these things, and it isn't as if, and I think this is a lesson for us now and in the future, that God does not do what he is going to do when it comes to to justice and destruction and judgment and all those other things, whatever you want to call it, without ample warning. Mm-hmm. He gave every single one of these nations warning after warning after warning after warning, including his own people. And at some point he's like, okay, well, now the thing I said I was going to do, and uh, now it's going to happen. And then they seem seem surprised, like, what? <laughs> What's happening? I mean, I was a teacher for a while, and it is amazing. Uh, it's human nature will say, okay, there's going to be a test on Friday. There's going to be a test on Friday. There's going to be a test on Friday. Friday rolls around, and inevitably there are people who say, what? What are you? What's what's happening? We didn't know about this. And like, oh, I've only been telling you all semester. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned you know telling his his own people here. Well, chapter three starts going right to Jerusalem, who, you know, in the scope of things of what we've seen, Jerusalem has really been pretty good, at least by a human standard. You know, we've had we've had some good kings, we've had some bad kings, not like not like Israel that had all bad kings, but now we've got Jerusalem being described as rebellious, uh, polluted, oppressing. It's pointed out that basically all of their leaders, their princes, judges, prophets, priests, all of them 
they've all misused all their positions. They've taken their power and and used it to their own gain or to just to mislead. Verse five, it says the Lord is righteous, but the unjust knows no shame. God has tried to instruct, and this is verse seven, and where God has tried to instruct, but Jerusalem rose early and corrupted all their deeds. Basically, God's been trying. He has been trying with these people that uh, just aren't listening. They just are insisting on their own path and just going the wrong way, just going the wrong way. And it's like they says they rose early. You know, you know, when you're rising early, it's because you have a you have a you've probably got a reason. You know, I mean, I know some people just are early risers naturally. But if you're getting up early, if you're getting up before the sun is up and whatnot, it's because you got stuff to do, you know, and it's like you guys are getting up early to go be bad, to go do all the wrong things. And this is the warning that God has given to them. So it's an interesting thing in chapter three here. We go from talking about Jerusalem in roughly the first half. And then it shifts in uh, verse 9 to the conversion of nations and Israel's restoration. And this is the thing I would say that as students of the Bible, we need to be careful and think about now, are we talking about literal Israel? And are we talking about literal Israel in that day or later? Or are we talking about a metaphorical Israel? Because that becomes very important. Because some of the things that are talked about here in Zephaniah don't happen before the fall of Judah. They don't happen in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah when Judah is repopulating Israel, I should say Jerusalem, specifically uh, uh, during the days uh, that Cyrus lets them go because they return. You know, they're taken captive by Babylon. They're there for 70 years. Daniel, we can read about that in, in Daniel. But then they get to come back to Jerusalem. But the things that are prophesied here in Zephaniah 3 don't happen before the captivity. They don't happen immediately after the captivity. They, to my knowledge, have not happened since then. And so it leaves me with the idea that some of these things are very future things, even in our day. Oh, very future. I don't know. It's yeah. To guess God's timetable, I wouldn't hazard that. But that the, some of these things are future, and it's it's just a thing that we should read. I think with a bit of caution as we mm-hmm. as we go through these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's written as something for them to look forward to, and I suppose I could see maybe in some perception once once they are able to go back and rebuild and stuff that they might be seeing some of that. It might feel like a bit of a fulfillment of some of these things, but it's clearly stuff that's for the future. And like you said, I think it's definitely stuff that we can look forward to in that more metaphorical sense. Because it talks about it talks about God pouring out indignation and fierce anger and jealousy and um, restoring a pure language, which I guess literally means purifying the lips uh, so that people can call upon the name of the Lord. It's sort of like a thought that we're not even speaking the right language right now. You know, we're trying, you know, we we can try. We can try to we can try to praise God, honor God, do all the things that God wants. Um, but it, it, as long as it's our efforts, it's not really going to go very far because it's like you're not even you're not even speaking the right language. And if you've ever 
if you've ever tried to talk to somebody who doesn't speak the language you're speaking, um, you realize just how hard it is to get anything across. And and the, the, the real understanding isn't there. You might be able to get some basic concepts and, atten- and intentions passed, but um, when you're not even speaking the same language, you, it's, it's pretty tough to be on the same page. Uh, but it does say that a meek and humble people will be left who will trust in God. So all of this, uh, oh, I'm going to call it tearing down, is basically to leave a, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Pure, not purify, uh, boil it down to a people who will pay attention, who will listen to God, who will make those efforts. Because they're they're not seeing themselves as being so high and mighty that they've got it all figured out. Because God can't really work with the people who think they have it all figured out. It's like they're speaking a different language, so to speak. Uh, speaking of some of that uh, that future stuff to look forward to, sing and shout and rejoice when we get into verse 14, 15. Because judgment and enemies are gone. Well, that's got to be talking about the future down the road. I mean, when when was when was Jerusalem and Judah ever without an enemy? I mean, I think. Even today, we're still dealing with with that city having struggles and conflicts. I mean, it's 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 his it's never it's never ended. So, uh, I think an ultimate fulfillment in that is is still in our future. But uh, God in your midst will save you. Now, that's an interesting thought. How, what do you think of that? Where it's like it's like God is God God is with you, and He's going to save you. He's not He's not like out there somewhere to save you. He's right here, right there with you to save you. I like I kind of like that that concept there in verse uh, 17. Those who are driven out will be gathered and receive praise and fame. That's like verses 18 through 20. And I kind of take that, you know, it's it's you're not going to get who's going to get famous by following God. Very few, very, very few people. There's a few Christian celebrities, if you want to call them that. But. In this case, it sounds to me like, you know, people are going to talk about you because of what you've been through. Um, you'll be recognized for having endured and for and re, for remaining faithful to God. I, I particularly liked verse 18, where it says, I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and a reproach for you. And it reminded me of that passage that we read in Amos a while back that where God says flat out, I hate your worship. I mm. hate your songs. I hate your feasts. I hate your festivals. I would rather you come to me with a sincere heart. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of like this is this is the Lot's wife, right? This is the yeah, okay, I'll leave the city because you're telling me to, but then I'm gonna look back with longing. Yeah. And so that's basically, I mean, that's kind of where Zephaniah just basically leaves off is that is with this idea of a remnant of people who will make it through. It's sort of a, it's like a little promise. It's like, yeah, there's going to be some things come down and it's not going to look pretty. Um, but some of you are going to get through and it's going to be the ones who have decided or have have understood that they don't have it all put together. They're going to be the ones who understand or and uh, think that they understand that that um, God needs to lead. They have to follow. They've got to follow his lead. They've they've got to stick to him. They've got to basically invite him in. I mean, if he's going to be in your midst, 
you know, he's got to be welcome there. And, and that's basically kind of where, where, where Zephaniah leads off. Zephaniah is a quick, short little book. Earlier, you had mentioned the, uh, the, the complacency thing, mm-hmm. you know, which, which lukewarm, you know, that idea comes from the book of Revelation. But those people in Revelation, if you, if you think about what it is that they're saying, like they're, they say, I'm rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. Right. Which is that whole self-sufficiency thing that we've been reading about this entire, you know, whopping three chapter book. And um, I like I like this. This to me puts a finer point on that quick little passage in Revelation and talks about how abhorrent it is to God when we act like that. Mm -hmm. Like he wants us to know our place, to know our need, to appreciate what he's doing for us. And to come to him, right? Mm-hmm. And if we're over here arrogant, I think we, you know, we read that earlier in Isaiah where it's like, I've given you all these gifts. And then you turn around and you're like, hey, look what I have. And you turn around and give it to other people. Like you don't even appreciate where you got it. So that was kind of mm-hmm. like the theme that stood out to me over and over in, in Zephaniah. And then he ends up by saying, at that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. And I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes. And if that's not a promise we need right now, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Just a, that that call to just to, to listen and, and follow and stop trying to grasp hold of the control because... We don't have it. And even if, you know, even if we, even if we feel like our lives were together, you know, if we were making all the money and had all the nice stuff and we were living comfortably and, and, uh, didn't have the, oh, I don't know, you know, the struggles of the common human being, I guess, if you want to call it, which who, I mean, who doesn't have those? I don't care how rich and famous and powerful you are. You're going to have struggles and and stuff. But even then at the end of the day, we all end up taking a dirt nap and that money is not going is not going to to do you any good at that point it certainly can't save you it's i I got the feeling over and over that this complacency that he was calling people away from came from a sense of self-sufficiency and so the, the call through this whole thing to me the way i read it was you know be be aware that even the good things you have and have had are from me. Mm-hmm. And if I have to take them all away, if I have to remove all of your earthly trappings for you to realize that it is me and only me as your God, then that's what I will do. Yeah. Yeah. Basically just stop thinking that you got it all, that you're fine. Ah, oh, this is fine. No, it's not. <laughs> the house is on fire. You can't sit there in your chair and go, ah, oh, this is fine. Um, it's going to be okay. No. no, you need to, you got to get out. But yeah, so anyway, that's basically uh, Zephaniah, just a little short, sweet book and, yeah. and um, more kind of, of the same things we've been reading a lot of lately and more more um, reminder that of of the message that God has been saying over and over and over again. Come back, return, repent. Uh, you don't have it all together. Come back to me. So now we will step into the book of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah is a prophet from the 
time of Josiah. In fact, we're told in the verse, first verse of the book of Jeremiah that this is a prophecy given to him during Josiah's reign in his 13th year. And he, this book kind of is going to go through Josiah, Jehoiakim, and all the way through Zedekiah, which um, historically we know Zedekiah is the last king of, of Judah. So this is going to span a little bit of time. I don't know exactly how many years, but if we are definitely given some context that this is this is this is at the basically at the end of of Judah. It's the end of that of that kingdom as it stands at the time. Now, we get a really really famous verse here in verse 5 of Jeremiah 1 where it begins before I formed you in the womb. We hear that verse a lot lately, I think, as sort of a proof text to <laughs> try to convince people against uh, get, uh, against abortion. You know, um, we tried. It's a uh, it's a very Christian uh, thing to look at as saying that um, we still we have value in the womb and that abortion is an evil because of that. Uh, but and while I think that is a valid point to make, and you can use that text for that, because if uh, if God knows us before we leave the womb, um, it certainly means that we have some value as human beings. But that's not really the point of the text. And that's, you know, and maybe maybe it's a good time to talk about some of those dangers of taking these texts out of context, because the point here is, yes, God knew Jeremiah, um, before he, but even before he formed him in the womb. But uh, the point here is that God has a specific purpose for Jeremiah. Is it too much of a stretch, though? Because, I mean, God is taking claim. I have always thought of the gestational process as a God created passive science, right? He creates mm -hmm. a process, you take a man and a woman. And they do the thing and it makes a baby and then this process ensues. And I, over the years, have not necessarily thought of that as God in action. Hmm. Does that make sense? And this, this actually shifts my perspective on fetuses when I think of them as someone that God is forming. Mm -hmm. So, yes, that applies to Jeremiah. Theoretically, the Bible applies to everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, not everyone is called to be a prophet to the nations, but all of us were formed in our mother's bodies until we were able to come out and live independently from her. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's, I mean, you know, with this Supreme Court thing that's been going on here recently about abortions, I've been thinking about this a lot. And, um, and this text sort of brought it home to me. I've heard people say and say and say over the years, well, you know, every every kind of abortion is is evil with the exception of, you know, like a like a medical abortion where the fetus is malformed. It's not going to live or it's got some horrible deformity where blah, blah, blah. Right. So right. they do an ultrasound and they see what's going on. Um, I got to admit, though, it freaked me out a little bit. I mean, I'm sure that you guys have heard about this stuff that happened down in Texas where they passed the heartbeat law, which is, mm -hmm. I think, six weeks. And did any of you see the, this really, really set me back on my heels. Did you guys see the Temple of Satan's response to that? 
No. They came forward and said, if anyone would still like an abortion ritual, come see us. Yikes. And it had never entered my head. I'd heard people say it, and I thought that they were loony, that abortions are actually a specific evil. Mm. And then the Temple of Satan itself posted on their social media, if you would like an abortion ritual now that they are illegal, come see us. Yikes. And they're filing a lawsuit against the state of Texas for saying that freedom of religion should allow their members to have abortion rituals within the freedom of religion. Mm. And isn't that a different way? So that on the one side, and I formed you in your mother's womb on the other side. That, that I mean, I don't mean to get off track, and I know we're talking mm. about Jeremiah, but that that really set me back, and I had to do some serious thinking about mm-hmm. that the last couple of weeks yeah no well i think it's still i think it still applies here because we are looking at this concept that that god is taking an active role in all of our developments and it starts before we're born it's not like we come out of the womb and oh look now they're a person right um god that line, that line of personhood right yeah yeah uh, God is clearly saying that that um, Jeremiah was a person says before I formed you, you know, or, or at least God recognized his value um, long he, before that. He recognized his value because he was hand creating him. And yeah. how is that? How would that be any different for anyone else? Right. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Is that too big of a stretch on the scriptures to say that? I don't know. Oh, what do you guys I, think? I mean, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I guess there's a little assumption here, but, um, you know, his being a prophet does not put him in a more, say, maybe doesn't make him more, hmm, doesn't make him any more important than somebody who can, you know, can serve in any way. Because we're all, everybody, everybody is called to serve God in some way. Uh, you know, we get into the into the New Testament. And some are called to be prophets. Some are called to be right. this. Some are called to be that. You and know? the body of Christ needs them all. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, he formed Jeremiah specifically to be a prophet. But some of him, some people, he he forms them with the intention of them becoming teachers. Some of them to be to work in the kitchen, to do this and that and the other. You know, so one one person's value is not more than another. We're, we're all of that value because God has actively formed every one of us in the womb. Now, I suppose that leaves some open question to, like you were saying, the, the fetuses that um, aren't going to survive. Yeah. But- well, my, my eternal debate on abortion has always been not so much the morality, because I, in a black and white world, I understand that snuffing out life it's easy it's easy for that to be wrong like i get i get the ideal but i i live in a world where things aren't necessarily black and white and mm-hmm. and to, and there's there's you know there's medical abortions i was offered one when i was pregnant with my daughter because i had a heart condition they sent me for a heart exam and they said okay well you the, here's the status of your heart and you definitely qualify for a medical abortion right 
And I was, I had just found out I was pregnant and, you know, there was no heartbeat, you know, there was no like that whole, like, where do you draw the line between personhood and the rights of the mother versus the rights of the fetus? You know, I, I, I get it. I get it. It's complex, but yeah, I mean, I've known, I've known girls who got pregnant because of their own, because of the carelessness of their own life. And they, they didn't even blink at the idea of going and getting an abortion. Um, but that was, that was just fine with them and their, their rights were more in their mind, their rights were more than the rights of the fetus at whatever age that fetus was when they made the decision. I've also known girls who got pregnant through the carelessness of their personal life who said, why should my child pay for what I did? And they went ahead and carried the child, even though it was inconvenient to the mother. Right. So they drew a different moral line. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. It just, it really, it really kind of. That, and, and it wasn't just that verse, like you said, it's a famous verse, like I know that verse, but it was that verse on top of all the discussion about the recent Supreme Court thing mm-hmm. that had me thinking about it differently. And it was kind of like, and then the, the Temple of Satan's response to that on social media, and I was just dumbfounded, dumbfounded. Yeah, yeah, it, it I would never it had never occurred to me that the act of abortion was an act of evil. And I was just like, wait, what? So I don't know, like, I don't, I mean, obviously I don't know everything about it. I'm not in the church of Satan. I never have been. I don't know their internal views on it, you know, but yeah, that's, that's their, that's their response to that is they filed a lawsuit against Texas saying that right under freedom of religion, their members should be able to have an abortion ritual as they decide and i'm just like whoa i don't know just set me back i don't i'm not trying to derail this whole thing and we can get back to jeremiah but i was i've done a lot of thinking about that the last couple of weeks yeah well and it is i mean if you've got if you've got if you've got followers of satan specifically calling it out as you know good in their eyes then we gotta you know you need at least question and and i you know i'm not here to i obviously I'm not in a position to put myself in a woman's shoes who finds herself in a situation where where it even is a possibility. But I am a father who loves my children. I can't I can't even think back what it would be like without them now. You know, it's a it's a value of it's a value of life. It's a value of human life. uh, And it it raises questions in our society of how do we value life? How are we going to respond to it? How do we define life? Um, how do we it define it? Definition. Yeah. And, and um, it's not an easy question for our society to 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 deal with. And we're not going to come to we're not going to come to any any uh, any you know world changing concepts here that's going to make people you know change. But um, but uh, it is a situation of of life and God's value on on that. In Jer- with this Jeremiah. Along that theme, so we guess we go to verse six, which I think is uh, six and seven, has just as much important things to say to us mm-hmm. as uh, the previous verse. And that is, this is in the context. Apparently, God has called Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is saying, you know, hey, look, you got the wrong guy. Uh, and six literally says, and then I said, this is Isaiah, I'm sorry, Jeremiah saying, ah, Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth. Yeah. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth for to all whom I send you, you shall go and whatever I command you, you shall speak. 
So if we can draw lessons from um, from verse five for our lives and society, which I think we should always be looking for those opportunities. This idea of I'm only a youth. Mm-hmm. I met y'all, but I've heard plenty of people say, you know what? If you got kids who are youth and teenagers, they just got to go do all the things. They just got to go, you know, just live it and just go try everything at least once. Mm. And God doesn't seem to say here, it's like, hey, as long as you're a kid, you can just do or not do whatever seems okay. He seems to be saying this idea of I am only a youth is no excuse whatsoever. And he's calling Jeremiah, I don't know how old he was, right? But he, he spans uh, Josiah's whole reign, which is fairly long, mm-hmm. that of Josiah's son, and all the way into the fifth month of the captivity. So this is no short time that Jeremiah is ministering. So he might have been kind of young when this started. Yeah. My point is this, is that in today's culture, we kind of say, well, you know, I mean, until they're 21, 22, 25, whatever, Kids ought to be able to do kind of whatever they want to. And then then they can settle in and, and get like a life. And until then, they can either do or in this case, not do whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, God is God takes a pretty hard line on that with Jeremiah saying, yeah, no, you don't get a pass because mm-hmm. you happen to be younger um, than you think you should be for this job I gave you. Yeah, well, I think it's also it's also got to you know just because you're young and inexperienced doesn't mean that I can't use you. Oh yeah. Um. So I was curious how long his ministry was because I saw that span of years also back in the first few verses talking about. So I, I went and rummaged around a little bit and did some research. His Jeremiah's ministry was about forty years. That mm-hmm. is significant. Also, based on verse eight. Where God says to him, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And I thought to myself, you know, God's idea of being rescued and my idea of being rescued are not always the same thing. I wonder how Jeremiah died. (laughs) (laughs) So I did some more rummaging. The Bible doesn't say Um, there are there are historical records from people like Jerome that say that Jeremiah ended up in Egypt, that he was captured by a group of Jews and taken to Egypt, and that he that there he told them things that they did not want, he told them truths that they did not want to hear, and that they stoned him. And mm. this this is supported by um, a couple of different authors. So it's basically Jewish tradition says that we don't actually know from the Bible, but that was my my curious follow up to do not be afraid of them for I am with you and you will and will rescue you. Yeah, sometimes our rescue doesn't mean that our lives are saved. It's a, right. it's an it's an interesting concept to think about. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know. well, we don't know, we no, because I mean, I'm not defending one way or another, but we just read of Josiah and he was prophesied by the prophet Huldah that he would. Um, he would have a peaceful death. And as it turned out, he died in battle. Well, mm-hmm. he died in battle because of a choice he made. Yeah. You know, God didn't make him go to battle. In fact, God used Pharaoh Nico to say, what are you even doing here? This is not your fight. Go home. Right. And Josiah's yeah. like, you can't tell me what to do. And well, mm-hmm. okay. He dies. I'll try to find a way to fight. 
Say it again, Tracy. Oh, no. He found a way to fight. Oh, yeah. yeah. You wanted in that fight. Yep. Yeah. And so my point is not to blame Jeremiah for his own death, but we, we just, right. we do not know. And to Karen's point, when God says, hey, I'll take care of the end of how this all goes down, that might not be the same as what we thought when he, we, we, we might have a different idea of what that looks like than what God thinks about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you'll even look through some of the, you know, the, the famous stories of, of Bible characters and how they were saved. I mean, how is Samson saved? Samson was saved by being buried in the rubble of a pagan temple, you know, things that like he that. Down on his own head. Yeah. 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 You know, he but asked, he was redeemed. He yeah. Yeah. He was redeemed through it. He 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 died uh, in a better position than he was in while he was alive you know and and sometimes that is that is going to be that definition of salvation rather than you know walking out unscathed we're not all going to walk out of the fiery furnace which we will get to eventually (laughs) you know i think of i think of stephen i think of Mm -hmm. john the baptist it's like we don't see the big picture We, we say this over and over but we just don't see the big picture that's yeah that's what god does yeah, it requires us to put a level of trust on on God that we certainly wouldn't put on human beings because because um, he's looking at it very differently than we are because we have our our little narrow our, our little narrow path that we look at and and where we're thinking we want to go and uh, God is looking at things in a very different direction you know he's looking at it from above and it's just different he just looks at it differently so the other thing I got really curious about here, so you probably remember that I have a parallel Bible. Mm-hmm. So when you get down to verses 11 and 12, there was this interesting thing that I found. So when I read 11 and 12 in the New King James, it said, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. And Eric, I was curious, how does the ESV, uh, that's what you read, right? Yeah. How does that word those two verses? And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Okay. And then NIV says, the word of the Lord came to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Okay, so my Bible, the NIV version had a little footnote that said that the, the Hebrew word for watching sounds like the Hebrew word for almond tree. Mm, yeah, so it was translated in the New King James, and I don't have the traditional King James, so I don't know how that compares. But I know ESV is more of a literal translation. NIV is more of a literal translation. New King James says, I am ready to perform my word. And both NIV and ESV say that he, I am watching to perform my word, right? Okay, so I went and looked up, and this is just an interesting little tidbit about the Hebrew language. I went and looked up how to pronounce the word almond and how to pronounce the word watching in Hebrew. Almond is saked and watching is saked. Mm. Okay, so they're spelled very slightly differently. 
um, but they are they are translated into English pronunciation wise as S A Q E D or S O Q E D. Anyway, I thought that that was really interesting. That sort of like he drew he drew a parallel in a language that Jeremiah spoke and would recognize, and he showed him an almond branch to remind him that he was watching. And that's that's so. I just wonder how many of those little um, culture specific things are in the Bible that go right past us, the modern mm-hmm. readers reading it in the translation to another language. You know, I just thought that was an interesting little detail. It is a bit of trivia. Remember when Aaron uh, was? They were trying to choose who was going to lead uh, the priesthood, mm-hmm. and everybody put their staffs in the uh, most holy place. Yeah. Remember what came out on Aaron? Almond. Oh, yeah. Almond. Yep. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the priesthood. God is watching. Hmm. That's cool. (laughs) That's a, oh, that's, yeah, that's cool. New wrinkle in the brain. Got, (laughs) that's awesome. That is very cool. Yeah. So, verse, so chapter one of Isaiah is just, just to step back a little bit, is God calling Isaiah. I'm sorry, Jeremiah, 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 God calling Jeremiah saying, I have a plan for you. I've had a plan for you way back and I am going to do it and I'm going to equip you for it. You may not feel you're um, ready for it, but I will make you ready for it. And mm-hmm. here's don't think we just can't forget. He is called to minister to the people of Judah by speaking against them. So this idea that you're always just going to speak for the uh, um, the uh, a patriot only loves their nation and only speaks good things about them is, well, <laughs> that is not Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called to be God's patriot, and in so doing, he has to speak against some of the things that are happening in Judah. And God says quite plainly to him in uh, Jeremiah 1.19, they will fight against you. But they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Yeah, some of the things he's called to tell them, there's an image of a boiling pot. It said, I think it was said it was facing away from the north, yeah. uh, which is indicating. I mean, I wonder if this is sort of where we get the idea that, oh, there's trouble a-brewing, you know. Oh, yeah. um, you know, because uh, he's seeing this boiling pot in the north that's going to be causing trouble. It's probably talking about Babylon. Well, it's, and it's is, tilting towards him. It's tilting yeah. towards Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is probably talking about Babylon. They're, they're gaining power. It's it's coming. Um, and it's coming your way. Um, it's yeah. actually more than that. God says what it is. He says in verse um, 14 and 15, his response to, I see a pot tilting, right? Uh-huh. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be from the north. Disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all peoples of the northern kingdoms. Yeah, so this is like buckle your seatbelts. Mm-hmm. Here it comes, bumpy. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a big, big, major upheaval of of the area of the land. Everything, everything's going to change around it, this place. And it's because, specifically for for Judah and against Jerusalem, because like we have talked about so many times, they've forsaken God, they've buried or they burned incense to other gods, and they've worshipped the works of their own hands. These are the things we've talked about a lot, where 
they just rejected God and turned to their own ways for doing things. So what did you guys think of verse 17? I was I spent some time chewing on this. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. <laughs> How do you <laughs> You know the things you're going to have to tell people, you know. Um would you want to be the one in that position? I, you know, right? God's definitely obviously recognizing this. And well, if Jeremiah gives, is like a kid, you yeah, know, he gives him a follow up reassurance down in 19. He says they will fight against you, but will not overcome you for I am with you and will rescue you. So he's telling him, don't fear. Right. They're going to fight you. Stand yeah. up against them. I will rescue you. But then he also throws that little thing in there, which to me, I basically took it as a do your job. Like, mm -hmm. there's only one of you. Do your job. I need you to do this. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I mean, looking at it from the outside, we look at it and we go, OK, we know that God picked Jeremiah specifically. He's equipping Jeremiah with with what he needs to do it, whether Jeremiah thinks so or not, because we, <laughs> we clearly read the Jeremiah. He, he He's like similar to Moses. Moses is like, well, who am I? You know, and that's kind of Jeremiah here, too. It's like, I, I, I'm just a kid. I, I can't do this. And But God is obviously giving him the tools and we can see that because we're given sort of this bird's eye view uh being in jeremiah's shoes though you know it's quite a thing for him to to accept it that's what i had written down is that i had moses in there and it's to me it was like the lord telling him you know what be confident show your faith at this point because i'm going to be with you but if you don't they'll see it they'll yeah. see it and they'll, they'll go after you harder so have confidence have yeah, I, I would like to think that I can read that verse and and if if I ever heard the voice of God literally in my head saying, Matt, I want you to go and you're going to go tell the United States government that judgment is coming down on you. I would I wish that I could I hope that I could would be able to stand up and and, and go with with a confidence. Uh, but, but I suspect there's always going to be some trepidation and and stepping up to do it is going to be terrifying. Yeah, there's the book of Jeremiah plays this out and we'll go over this for the next few weeks is that this isn't a one and done thing. It's not just because God said, hey, don't worry about this, that Jeremiah then was able to say, cool, for the rest of his life and never worry or have a second thought about it again. Mm -hmm. Because he does. He really struggles with this. And we'll yeah. see this come up. We'll see this come up again and again in the book of Jeremiah to where he's not he is not always running um at redline smoothly and mm -hmm. i guess i just say that to say you know we may be called to do something or we may uh, feel convicted of a thing but that doesn't mean that we will always have a hundred percent assurance and feel like woohoo here we go it's mm -hmm. all good is that uh, even jeremiah i mean he really struggles and uh, and yeah, I, I won't go to any of the spoilers, but there's stuff ahead where, to where Jeremiah really says, oh, man, I just is, this is not what I want to do, but it's what I have to do. Yeah, because think about this. He is being called to reprove a people. They got their own prophets. They've got their own uh, their own priests, their own. They've got a whole team of uh, consultants ready to tell them. That they're doing the right thing, even when they are definitely um, in a turbocharged handbasket to hell. OK. And his job is to say, no, stop it. You're doing the wrong thing. And there's nothing harder 
than trying to have a conversation with somebody who believes they are 100% right and should not and cannot change. That's Jeremiah's job, and this is no easy thing. Yeah, well, we have. I don't think we've seen any stories even so far where everything constantly went smoothly. You know, um, Moses got called up to go talk to talk to Pharaoh. How often? How long did Pharaoh fight against him with that? Um, well, Moses had that, his own personal weaknesses that he pointed out to God. He said the same thing mm-hmm. as Jeremiah, just not because of his age. He was like, mm-hmm. I can't go. I can't yeah. go. I can't talk that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he even you know. But even as he accepted God's calling, then later, I mean, he still had to deal with the adversities of, of, uh, of the outside forces. Sometimes, from, you know, from Pharaoh for a long time, from his own people for a while, uh, and it it brother. wasn't, yeah, yeah, his brother. It wasn't a smooth. It wasn't a smooth thing for him to to follow God, but just to but to persevere on it. Um, uh, who was it that ended up running away from um, Jezebel right after? Right Elijah. after having was that Elijah, Elijah. yeah, after his yeah. big old showdown with with uh, with all the other gods there on the mountain, and you know God literally God's fire comes down, and, and it's such an awesome story. But then he turns right around and he's he he's running for his life, you know. So yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not going to necessarily be smooth sailing. Jeremiah two, we get a case. Uh, against Israel from God, and he he's kind of saying, you know what? I remember you guys when I brought you out of Egypt. I showed you love. I had I had nothing but the best things planned for you. I saved you from Egypt. I led you to the promised land. I protected you. And what happened? What is it that I did that led your forefathers to leave me and? pursue these idols to pursue these other gods it's like there is nothing i have done that has caused this yeah this it, and i and i got a little chuckle out of um verse five where this is what the lord says what fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me and it sounded like it sounded like a human relationship like is it me is it <laughs> me except except no it's not god knows it right. we know yeah. it it's not a human relationship, but it was like, you know, you got to ask those questions sometimes. Like, do you not see how you've acted? Right. Like, did I do something to deserve that? I did not do something to deserve that. You mm-hmm. straighten up. Yeah. Not not only has he done, not done anything to deserve it, but it's like they've completely chosen not to even acknowledge that he brought them out of, of where they were. Uh, you know, where would they have been without him? Would they, you know, so, at this point... Would they yeah. still be in, in Egypt? Maybe, you know. Down in but, verse um, 11 and 12, there's a wonderful summary of his whole rant that he goes on. He says, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror. Yeah, something I liked in that there, too, is like, look around at these other nations. He doesn't usually say look and see, you know, their their example. But he's like, look around. How many of them have changed their gods? You know, you guys have, you've had me, your ancestors were able to sort of see me, and then they just swapped me out for the new model, so to speak. It's like, who else yeah. is around you has done that? They haven't done that. Go ahead. Yeah. And this, and this is back to what we were talking about in um, uh, Zephaniah, 
where you have complacency because you believe that because you are self-sufficient, right? So in verse 13, he says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, that's sin number one, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That's sin number two. So they've stepped away from the real thing. They've built themselves a shoddy replacement. And that's where that's where they have settled. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you you think about that. He's like, how do you look at this thing and go? It's sort of like what I it's the way I'm reading what God is saying. He's like, how do you look at what you've done and think that this is good? I, I, I have given you everything and you've just you've just cast it out and tried to build up this own thing. And now look where you are. Yeah. You're you're in. Everybody's constantly fighting against you. So after that, he goes on this long rant about this is how you've acted and this is how you've acted. And then you've acted like this. And there's a great summary of that down in, in the second half of verse 25. So he talks about like he's he's basically comparing his people's behavior to a female animal in heat, just like running after everything that she can possibly get. Like if you're a male animal, don't worry, she's there for you, you know, just Mm -hmm. kind of like this kind of thing. And, and then he summarizes it in, in the second half of verse 25. And he says, you have said, it's no use. I love foreign gods and I must go after them. It's just like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't, in mine, it was specifically talking about a donkey. You know, yeah. and I, I've yep. I've never seen a donkey in heat, but I've seen cats and dogs in heat, and they could get they could seem pretty pathetic because they are ready for whatever. Yep. You know, whatever they'll be like, bring it on, and and uh, you're like, wow, that is um, when you make that comparison, it's like, yeah, you are, you are pathetic. So skipping on down then, in verse 29, God says, why did you bring charges against me? You have all rebelled against me, declares the Lord. In vain, I punished your people. They did not respond to correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a ravenous fire. What king was it we read about that was like, well, yeah, I've, no, I've got a prophet of God. I just don't like what he says to me because he always tells me I'm wrong. I don't remember which king that was we read right. about, but yeah. it, to, that verse reminded me of that. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, so many things there. It's like, why do you think you're too good to come to me? Because now he's like, you know, you think you're now you think you're too good to come to me. Um, But yet he's like, it's no secret what you have been doing. You have oppressed the innocent, yet you claim innocence and then still want me to turn my anger away. You still you still want me to just like look the other way. And, and basically, it's just like, mm-mm, no, sorry, you can't do the things you've been doing and think that I'm just going to look away now. That's not going to happen anymore. And he <clears throat> he draws kind of a, a an analogy at, at the beginning of chapter three where he talks about like, well, now, how am I supposed to respond if you come back? He says, if a man divorces mm-hmm. his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? And then he says... You have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me? Right? So there's just like this, like, how can you be so faithless? And then just like return to me with your hand out, like, oh, can I have some more? I'm sorry. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is a, it's a bit of an irony, I guess, if I'm using using it right here. Um, Because God is always wanting to come back. I mean, he had one prophet go and, and marry a prostitute who left. And he's like, go get her. 
remember that, you know, yeah. go get her and bring her back. Well, that was um, to show his role in yeah. faithfulness and yeah. how ludicrous it looks when it's not you doing it. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Yeah. But for the for the prostitute to come, you know, to come groveling back, if you will, it's uh, you. I guess the point is acknowledge it, you know, acknowledge where you went wrong and and. Um, and when God does accept you back, realize what he is doing for you. So um, in verses nine and onward in chapter three, God goes into a little bit more detail about what Israel and Judah did wrong. And they're not exactly the same thing as each other. So he says, because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense. So that's mm -hmm. kind of a, an interesting comparison of the types of ways that you can sin against God and still be faithless. I thought mm -hmm. that was, I thought that well, was interesting. Yeah, well, it's sort of like that complete turning away we talked about earlier, and then that kind of halfway, and that's kind of where Judah was at, where whereas like Israel just went meh. Pah. See ya. Uh, but Judah was kind of like, mm, we're going to sort of hedge our bets here and yeah. we're going to be, you know, yeah. we're going to yeah. we're going to be worshiping this dude over here and kind of this dude over here. Uh, but we don't want to totally reject God. And that's kind of like that. That seems like it's kind of what saying is like, well, you, yeah, you, 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 you sort of came back. You came back and, you, you know, you said you were back, but. <laughs> There's still you still got all these other gods. You still got all these idols. You still got all this other stuff. I mean, all the things we read about what they had done in, with the temple in the last couple of weeks we read. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's so, it's very clear that they weren't totally on board. So if, so it, so. But God's faithfulness gets really set out very clearly in the message that he tells Jeremiah to take. So in verse 12, he says, go proclaim this message toward the north. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful. I will not be angry forever, only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree, and you have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return, faithless people, for I am your husband, and I will choose you. Mm -hmm. Right? Talk about faithful in the face of stupid behavior from your partner. Yeah. 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 But, you know, it's it's also, though, um, there's some things that have to be dealt with first. Well, because, yeah, that whole acknowledge your guilt thing. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, let's see, in verse 19, I don't remember exactly how he wrote it here, but essentially the message was, how can I just do this now? How can I just take you back? Uh, there's got to be there's got to be some some things that have to be dealt with first. I think and, it all. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I think it's all you know in that accountability and responsibility. It's like you know you need to own up to what you did. You need to make corrections and you need to come back to me. But you know he always even in the in the rebuke he gives you a way to come back, and he mm -hmm. he does this again. Yeah. And that's where things are ramping up to for us here, because he does say it basically. Uh, I mean, I know that Israel is basically God, but he's even saying he's saying that you all will eventually repent. 
you will come back. You will answer yeah. the call. In, and, in and, chapter 22, he says, return your backsliding children. I will heal your backsliding. Mm-hmm. So once again, it's like, I'll take care of it. Just turn away from what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, that's that beginning of that message from Jeremiah. Um, no wonder he wasn't popular. Jeez. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we've seen a lot of other prophets basically like, well, judgment's coming down. And a lot of times it's like, if you turn away, uh, it'll be better for you. But in Jeremiah's case, it's like, no, judgment is coming. And uh, you're probably not going to turn away until until you've hit rock bottom. But uh, you will. You will come back. You will turn around eventually and and uh, and see the error. But said before we know that uh coming down the pike is not uh it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows for him because some things have to get dealt with at this point it uh it makes you wonder a little bit if god didn't deal with it where would things be because it it, it had to be corrected it just had to be corrected uh, and uh by taking away the toys essentially so we are going to be sticking with jeremiah for a while now uh for several weeks it's um kind of similar to like we did with Isaiah. We were there for a while. So next week, we are going to look at Jeremiah chapters four through nine and con- continue down uh, continue down that message of what Jeremiah's got to say. Uh, well, you were waiting for us. You can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Look for us on Facebook. Uh, subscribe to the podcast so that we reach you in your feed each and every week. Share the podcast so that others can hear hear this stuff too. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.